So uh, we've got hide and go seek. We've got pin the tail on the donkey. We've got a pinata at a birthday party. Or if we're in a pool and I say Marco, you say Marco. These are all games that I just mentioned that the kids play or we play. And for them to be fun, for them to be a game that works, requires for you to close your eyes or to be blindfolded, okay? Having said that, I I can't think that actually being blind can be that fun. What do you think? I can't imagine that. Um, In 2004, Jamie Foxx played the role in the movie simply called Ray. Uh, and he played the role of legendary singer Ray Charles, who at the age four or five went blind. And uh, Jamie Foxx decided, you know, if I'm going to play the role of a blind man, I want to try and get into their world. I want to try and get into their skin. And so what he did was uh, for three weeks or so, right after breakfast, he would put a blindfold on. And for the rest of the day, everywhere he went, every meeting he had, every meal that he had, all the way up until brushing his teeth and then getting into bed, he would have the blindfold on because he's trying to experience what, what, what is that like. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because th- we are uh, continuing our series called When Pigs Fly. We, it's a series where we're looking at some of the crazy, impossible miracles that Jesus does in the Gospels. Last week, we looked at the resurrection of Lazarus. And today, in John chapter 9, we looked at the story where Jesus interacts with and he heals a blind guy. Okay, So we're going to be looking at that story. Now, if you haven't picked up yet... When Jesus performs a miracle, he's typically doing one of three things or several of the three things. One is he's trying to prove that he's more than just a man. So this miracle today we're going to look at is literally referred to as a messianic miracle because prophecies had been given about the coming Christ, the coming Savior, the coming Messiah, and some of the things that he would do, including miracles, one of them being the blind people are going to be able to see. So that's why it's referred to as a messianic miracle. He's trying to prove that he's more than just an ordinary guy. Second of all, sometimes when Jesus performs miracles, he's just he's trying to help somebody. Someone's sick, I, I feel bad for them, I'm going to heal them. Someone's hungry or a group of people are hungry, I'm going to feed them. Someone's crippled, I want to give them use of their legs again. He just, he cares. So he's just trying to help them out. But third, many times when he's performing a miracle, he's trying to teach an underlying spiritual lesson. Beyond the miracle, there's a spiritual lesson that he's trying to teach. Now, this morning, this miracle falls into that category. Grab the study guide, whether you write the notes down or not. I want you to look at the subtitle and the topic that we're going to be talking about. He doesn't bring it up until the very end. But the miracle is underlying, trying to teach this idea, how to prevent spiritual blindness. How do we prevent, what you say, what is spiritual blindness? Spiritual blindness is this idea that, listen, God is trying to guide you. God is trying to inform you. God is trying to teach you. He mainly does it through this book. He also has other ways that he does it, but mainly through this book. So when God gives you information, God gives you truth, do you have the ability to assimilate that to hear that, to apply that, or flip side of the coin, are you spiritually blind? It's rather significant. So as we go through the story, and we'll go through the entire story, that's what we're looking at, because that's how it applies to us today. He tried to teach it to the disciples. He's now trying to teach it to us. So we're going to jump right into the story. You could follow along on your phone or your your Bible, but in verse 1, we start out, and here's what we read. 
as Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. I, let me go on a tangent right away. Um, uh, I want you to notice in the gospel stories as Jesus is kind of meandering around through the region, uh, it seems more often than not when he bumps into someone who's lame, someone who's blind, someone who's disabled, someone who's crippled, someone who has any kind of disability whatsoever, more often than not, what's fascinating is he notices them. He interacts with them and he has compassion toward them. I want you to know if you are here today and you have any kind of disability whatsoever, or if you have a family member that, you, that has a disability, you need to know that God is not too busy for you. He may be in the conference room in heaven running the universe, but he still has time to notice you. He cares for you and desperately loves you. You have to know this and have to remember this. As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked, who sinned? Now, I need you to understand and connect the, the theological dots that the disciples are making with this. Blind man, their instinct is to ask, why is he blind? Did he sin or did his parents sin that he is born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, I want to I show you this next slide and very quickly give you a theology of sin and suffering. So when the Bible talks about sin and suffering, there's this idea that when we sin, there's consequence for that. And more often than not, that consequence is what we, we call suffering. Now, why I want to draw your attention to this is because in the times of Jesus, religious leaders actually took this concept and they pushed it to the extreme. They believe that every time you sin, almost, God would give you an illness. God would give you some sort of disability. We have rabbinical teaching from the day that actually taught what was known as prenatal sin, which was the idea that you could sin within your mother's womb. I don't know how this works. Maybe you were pulling on the umbilical cord or something you shouldn't be doing. And, and God saw that, and he was like, I'm going to get him. That's what they would teach. So the disciples, they don't know any better. They're picking up on this teaching, and they're saying, they see this blind guy, and they ask Jesus, is he blind because he sinned or because his parents sinned? That's what they conclude. That's all they know. Now, here's what I need you to understand, and I've tried to lay it out for you very quickly and succinctly. The idea that sin equals consequence and suffering, theologically, is generally true. Here's what we know. All suffering... All suffering in the world can ultimately always be traced back some way, somehow to sin. If I am suffering, I can conclude it is either my fault, I did something that caused my suffering, or more likely, generally, especially when it comes to an illness or some sort of condition or disability, it's not because I did something, but because I live in a fallen, broken world where bad things happen to good people, including illnesses and cancer and so on and so forth. Theologically, that is generally true. But specifically and individually, that concept is not true. You have to be very, very careful to look at someone's suffering and make the conclusion, they messed up and God got them. Now, let me explain to you how this sounds in everyday life, right? I'm going to start with the flip side. If you are here today and you conclude, I'm healthy, I'm good looking, I'm successful, God must be pleased with me. That is an inaccurate theological truth. 
just because you are healthy and successful doesn't automatically mean God thinks that you're doing a good job. Flip side of the coin, if you have an illness, if you have a disability, if you have not experienced success in life as the world defines it, that does not automatically mean that God's upset at you and he's getting you for something you did. I get this all the time as a pastor. Something happens to us, and it happens a lot with illness. We get a really bad illness, or worse yet, our kids do. Someone in the family does. And here's what I hear. Here it comes. Ready? What did I do? Why is God doing this to me? What's the theological implication? What's the dots this person is connecting? The dots they're connecting is I'm unhealthy. I have an illness. It must mean I did something wrong. That's why God's getting me. And I want you to understand that while generally it's true that suffering comes from, uh, and, uh, from, from sin, specifically that might not mean for you in your life. Does that make sense? Now, Here's the application to prevent spiritual blindness. Don't you dare do what the disciples are doing in this particular case. Here's what I mean. You need to stop finger pointing and assigning blame. Stop with the judging attitude. Okay? So the mistake the disciples make is not necessarily that suffering comes from sin because I've just told you that's true. The mistake they make is to connect the dots and to conclude that the guy who's blind is suffering because something he did or his parents did. That's the mistake. Now, uh, I'm going to give you some examples of what this sounds like, how we verbalize it. And normally we don't verbalize it. Normally we just think it. And uh, I'm just, I'm telling you in advance, it's not going to be pretty. But if you're honest, um, you tell me, has you ever had anything like this float around in your head? You have a teenage single mom or just a single mom, right? She's struggling to get by, and we think that's what she gets for having sex before marriage. You have someone that needs a kidney because of excessive drinking, and we think they had it coming. A homosexual man is struggling with AIDS. That's what they deserve. Someone goes through a divorce. Well, that's what happens when you don't prioritize your marriage. Someone declares bankruptcy. Well, if you can't control your spending, that's what you're going to get. Someone's kid goes off the deep end and does crazy stuff. And we're like, yep, that's what happens when you don't set boundaries for your kids. And I could go on and on. And it's this attitude where we look at someone else's life, someone else's suffering, and we have this kind of moral superiority, and we think, well, they're doing that because they messed up. And God's getting them. And you ought not do that. I am not saying that there aren't consequences to our actions. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying we we can't even identify unhealthy and unbiblical behavior. Because we do know that there is unhealthy and unbiblical behavior. What I'm saying is don't you connect the dots. If you're going to conclude that someone's suffering is a direct result of what they did, you better be absolutely sure. And if you're not sure, shut your trap. Don't do what the disciples are doing. Let me, let me share you how Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Here's how Jesus said it. He says, don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That's a good way to put it, right? So all I, listen, when you and I have a, an attitude of moral superiority, we start pointing fingers and judging other people, two things happen. 
not good things. You push these people away from God, not closer to God. And second of all, you run the risk, you run the risk of developing spiritual blindness because God can't through, get through that kind of attitude. Does that make sense? Principle number two, let's keep reading. Second part of verse three. Jesus is continuing to explain what's going on. And he says, well, the reason this guy's blind, this all happened. And then he says this, so that, he's explaining, the works of God, his glory would be displayed in him, this blind man. As long as, and then he goes on to explain kind of why he's here and what he's doing and so on and so forth. We don't have a lot of time to cover it. He says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming, which means I'm not going to be around. No one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. He uses one of the great I am statements in the Gospel of John. But what I want to focus on is that first explanation to the disciples. Why is this poor man blind? Why is he suffering this, this ailment? Principle number two, it's a mouthful, but you got to get it and understand it. You need to accept and embrace that God's eternal agenda, his kingdom, is more important than your earthly happiness. you got to accept and embrace that God's eternal agenda, his kingdom, is more important than my earthly happiness. Now, this is, I love it when this kind of stuff happens. So I have for you on the screen two references. One from this week's story and one from last week's story. See, when we did the story last week, we looked at the story of Lazarus. Lazarus got sick. Lazarus died. It was a bummer for the sisters. They were discouraged and they were grieving for their dead baby brother. Okay? And the disciples asked Jesus, like they did in almost all these situations, why did this happen? Why did you let this happen? And Jesus explains, you see the reference in chapter 11, verse 5, this happened to my good friend Lazarus. And what does he say? so that God could be glorified through it. In John chapter 9, when they asked, well, what's with, the, what's with the poor blind man? Why did that happen? Notice what he says. Basically the same thing. So that God's glory and God's might might be displayed through this situation. Same thing. Same answer. Now you might be going, well, Pastor, why, why are you bringing this up two weeks in a row? The answer is I'm not. I'm not that smart. I'm not that strategic. You know, what do you mean by that? Here's how I do a series. So this series, When Pigs Fly, I started planning three, four months ago. I came up with the title. I came up with the theory. We got the bumper. We got the graphics. Then I came up with the stories. I knew what I wanted to do. Easter, we're going to do resurrection, resurrection of Jesus and Lazarus, that. And then I have five, six other miracles I want to share with you. You know, walking on water and feeding 5,000 and, you know, water into wine and blah, blah, blah. And this one. And I don't have any particular reason why I'm putting one on one week or the other. I'm just like, uh, what the heck? Week after Easter, I think we're going to do the blind man. Sounds like a good one. Looks like a good one. Slot that sucker in, right? I'm not strategically thinking, you know what? Two weeks in a row, I'm going to bring this point up. I don't, I don't, I'm not that strategic. I, don't, I, can't, I, I can't figure all that out. But I have a feeling there's someone else that does. You know what, God, I have a feeling did? He knew that there would be some of us here last week that would hear the exact same point last week, that life is more about God's glory than it is about your personal comfort. And we would go, yeah, pastor, preach away. I'm going to fill out my notes. But you walked right out the door and you actually didn't apply it to your life. And so God's like, I'm bringing it up again. And guess what? If you don't get it this week, he's going to figure out a way to bring it up next week. Guys, this is so important. I understand that when life gets sucky and when we have illness and when we have problems, I don't, I'm not asking you to enjoy it. 
I'm asking you to understand it and embrace it. Listen, as tactfully as I can say this, right, as kindly as I can say this, you are not at the top of the organizational chart. You are not. He is. That's why he is God and you are not. And when our commander-in-chief decides to do something that you don't like and I don't like, you want to know what our response should be? I'm at your orders. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But I'm not in charge. And so what I want you to... See, why this is so important is this. Until you... It's not just understanding it theologically. It's embracing it and, and getting... Listen, when life turns south and goes bad, when you have issues in life, you have to have the, the astuteness to understand his priority is not my personal earthly comfort. He's not just playing the short game with you. He's playing the long game with you. His kingdom and his agenda takes precedence over my comfort. And until you get that, what happens is you start to look at life with the long, wrong pair of lenses. And if you're not careful, you develop spiritual blindness. This is very important to understand that as you process pain and as you process suffering and as you process illness, you understand that God is still good and God's glory takes precedence. You've got to get that story goes on. Principle number three, you need to believe and obey Jesus, believe and obey Jesus, even when Others say you're stupid. Not if they say you're stupid, when they say you're stupid. If you haven't figured it out by now, as you go through the Christian journey, there will be someone at school, someone at work, someone in your family that is not a Christ follower that will essentially either say to your face or suggest to you, you're a moron. Because you do the Jesus Christianity thing, you're just not that smart. That's what the world says about our choice to follow Christ as Savior. I, I want to read you the story. I think part of the, re- part of the problem with the story we're reading today is you know the story. You know the end of the story. But if you stay in the moment, it's stupid. There's stupidness going on. Watch this. Afterward, Jesus spit on the ground. Just stop. This is the Messiah, Son of God, spinning. What, what would you guys do if I broke out into spitting this morning? You'd be like, he's gone and lost his mind. Right? He spit on the ground and he made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. So just put yourself in the in the put yourself in the shoes of the blind guy. What do you think what do you think is going through his mind? First of all, he's right there, and the first thing that happens, he's sitting there collecting alms. That's all they could do in those days. He's begging. That's the only way he can make a living, right? He's begging. And the disciples and Jesus walk by, they stop, and they start talking about him. And he's like, uh, excuse me, I'm blind, but I can hear you. I'm right here. I can hear what you guys are saying about me. They're talking about his sin or his mama's sin or what? right? I'm right here. And then, I've told you this before, when you're doing Bible study, one of the things that you do is you notice what's not there. I Notice what Jesus does not do. They're having a conversation about suffering, about sin, about the illness, about the blindness. And Jesus has an idea, right? This is what he doesn't do. He doesn't walk over to the blind guy and he goes, just want to introduce myself. My name is Jesus of Nazareth, son of God, Messiah, Christ, right? I've come to save the world. I don't know if you've heard, but I am gallivanting, skipping through the countryside, healing people. 
I have the power to heal you. In fact, I'm going to fix you. It's going to take me about an hour, but I'm going to fix this sucker right here. When I'm done with you, you're going to be able to see. <clears throat> I don't want them to hear us, but so I got this thing I'm going to do. I want to use this situation as a teaching opportunity for my interns over there, my disciples. So I'm going to do something that's going to feel really strange, really weird. Just go with me. Just trust me, right? And we'll pull this off and you'll be able to see. None of that. Nothing. So the blind man, all he hears is the disciples and Jesus talking about him. And, and, then, and then all he hears is this. That's what he hears. And I don't want to be gross, but Jesus makes mud, so there's more than one loogie involved. I mean, he's, there's multiple spinning going on here, right? He makes the mud, and then he rubs it on the guy's face. If I'm the blind man, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, my life bites. This is a bad day. This sucks, right? What is going on, right? And so, so that's what he hears. That's all he hears. Now, what's interesting about this story is not what happens, it's what he does. We're having some technical failure, but Jesus preached without PowerPoint, so I'm going to try my best to do it without it too. We still have the Bible, so we're fine. But it says this. It says, he spit on the ground, he made mud, he put it on the guy's eyes, and then he told him to walk to the pool of Siloam. Siloam. Now, I have been misreading this story for many years. My brother-in-law, John, is a, uh, a Bible professor of Old Testament at a Bible school in um, Ireland. My sister, Becky, and nephew, uh, Evan, listen to the podcast, so they're going to be hearing this in a couple weeks. How are you guys doing? They sent me a book for my birthday two weeks ago. That's what pastors do with each other. We give each other books for birthdays, right? And I read something in this commentary on the Gospels that is so helpful. I thought rub mud on the guy's eyes, and Jesus is like, uh, just, yeah, no, go right over there, go to the sink, the pool of Siloam, wash off. I'm thinking it's like 10 steps, right? The guy's washing off. Oh, my goodness, I can see. That's what I thought. Wrong. We know with this, where this occurs. We know where the mud situation occurs. It occurs right outside the temple. We also know the geography and where this, the, the pool of Siloam was situated. You want to know where it was situated? minimum of a half a mile away. So Jesus puts mud on his face and tells him to walk half a mile. What's the half a mile for a blind guy? He doesn't have a stick or a seeing eye dog. He's just like trying to make his way half a mile to the pool. Everybody knows him. Dude, Jeremy, what are you doing? What? What's that on your face? Uh, this guy put mud on my face and he spit in the ground. How many times do you have to tell that story? Walking through the city, people are like, what is this? He should be at the temple begging. Here's my point. And the best part of the story, you can't see it on the screen, so I'm going to read it for you. Jesus made mud. He spit, made mud, put it on his face. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Listen, the man went, washed, and came home seeing. He did what God told him to do. He did what he told him to do, even though it sounded stupid. In the book of Corinthians, Paul is talking about what people are going to say about you. And he uses one word over and over and over and over again to communicate what the world says about you and about the message of the gospel. Let me read it for you. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The message of the cross 
is foolishness to those who are perishing. In other words, people who don't go to church and have not embraced Jesus Christ look at the gospel story and say, stupid. God died for your sins? Stupid plan. But for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. God has, uh, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But those who, who God called Jews and Greeks, Christ's power, God and the wisdom of God. For foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Now, listen to me very careful. I'm going to tell you there's two reasons why you do what God tells you to do, even if and when it sounds stupid. Number one is because you don't want to develop spiritual blindness. That's the first one. But the second one is this. It's very important for you to understand. You need to understand that your obedience precedes God's miracle in your life. Let me say that again. Your obedience precedes God's power and miracle in your life. So if you're here today and you're saying, God, I need you. I need a miracle in my family, in my, my marriage, in my kids, in my finances, in my body, in my career. I need you. God's like, I want to help. But first, you do that. You do that. You obey me and watch what I do in your life. Your obedience precedes his miracle power in your life. That's why this is important. Okay, let's make, keep making our way around. If you're jotting down notes, here's number four. We could keep making our way through this. Number four is you need to identify and eliminate your personal blind spots. Identify and eliminate your personal blind spots. So I've taught two of my kids to drive. In the next year, I'm going to teach the third one to drive. If you drive, you know what a blind spot is. You, you look in your mirror, and there's one section right over, over your left shoulder that you cannot see in your mirror. It's your blind spot. So what you have to do when you're driving or teach someone to driving is you, when you want to change lanes, you've got to constantly look over your shoulder. You've got to look over your shoulder. We've all done this. Even though we know this, have you ever changed lanes without looking over your shoulder? What happens if there is someone in your blind spot? What happens at that very moment? And then they give you the you're the number one sign with their hand, right? That's what happens. Why does the person in your blind spot do that? Because it's dangerous. It's dangerous for you to just pull over without noticing what's behind you in your blind spot. Likewise, what I want to suggest to you is that there are life blind spots. Life blind spot. Issues in your life, in your personality, flaws that if you're not aware of and glance back at, they are going to cause chaos in your life. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me. I'm going to jump to verse 13. Look at verse 13. They brought the Pharisees to the man who had been blind. So this is the biggest group that has the problems. They brought the Pharisees, the man who had been blind. And, and now the day that Jesus had made mud and opened the man's eyes was on a Sabbath. That's important. They get all upset about this Sabbath deal. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked this man who had formerly been blind, how did you get sight? L listen to what he says. Oh, he put mud on my eyes. Then I washed. And now I see. And the Pharisees said, listen. This man can't be from God that healed you. He doesn't keep the Sabbath laws. How can a sinner perform signs? If you're jotting down notes, write this down. The Pharisees were blinded by their religiosity. They were blinded by their religiosity. Okay? Oh, we have it back there. Good. Well, I don't have it on the screen, but we have it back there. They were blinded by their religiosity. No. So here's what's going on. 
what's going on is that, uh, and what, what, what they don't do is the first thing they don't do is they don't come up to the guy, right? Remember, you, you look at what's not there. The first thing that they should be doing is going up to him, giving him a hug and a high five. They know this guy. The teachers of the law, they, they had gone to Kaiser Jerusalem when the baby was born, right? Dad had come out of, the, out of the operating room or the delivery room, and they had said, he's born, but we have bad news. He can't see. And they'd cried with that family right there. They knew this dude. And the first thing they do is they go into a doctrinal discussion, not a hug. They don't, they don't get excited for him. They're not amazed by the miracle. And they're not curious about who pulled it off. Instead, they're hung up on a doctrinal technicality, the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath is one of the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath says this. You, you got to get some balance in your life. Dude, you can't work like crazy. It's good to be a hard worker, but you, you, you got to learn to do two things, at least on one day, rest and worship. Right And rest looks different for different people for some for some people, gardening is work, and for other people, gardening is work is fun so you've got to figure it out what it looks like for you, but you have to find balance in your life it can't just be work 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 to do list it also has to be worship and rest and fun and family that's the Sabbath. Well, these guys had taken the Sabbath law that says don't work and they had taken it to the extreme, so they added to it. And this is what they, they told all their people at the synagogue. When God says that, no work means you can't brush your hair, can't brush your teeth, can't make a meal. So if you want to eat, you better make the meal the day before so we can eat the day of. And it included anything like if you want to make mud, oh, that's work. Whatever Jesus did, in the, that's work. So he's breaking the law. And here's the point. Some of us will miss God Some of us will develop spiritual blindness by how you do church, by how you do faith. Some of us are killing the work of God in us by how we're doing the work of God in the world. Am I getting... Guys, you have to be careful to not take this book and push it to an extreme and pick your favorite topic, favorite topic, and push it too hard. Because it will give you spiritual blindness. That's the Pharisees. Second group, second group are the neighbors. The neighbors. So we read the neighbors are those who had formerly seen him begging and they asked. Now, I got to say something about the neighbors. Neighbors were much closer today than even we are uh, then than they are today. You have to imagine all the conversations that went like this. Uh, Can you watch Jeremy real quick? I got to go to the supermarket. Just watch him for 15 minutes. I got to pick up some milk. They knew the little boy that grew up blind that later became a man that was blind that sat at the temple and begged because he was blind. It's the same neighbors. His neighbors and those who formerly saw him begging asked, is is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Is it really him? Some claimed that he was and others said, no, no, it just looks like him. It's got to be someone else. But he himself insisted, I'm the man, it's me. Well, how did your eyes get open? And they asked, well, he replied, same thing, over again. He could say same stuff. And the man, okay, Jesus came, he put mud on my eyes, he told me to wash, and I washed, and then I could see. Well, where is the guy? I, I don't know. I was blind, and now I could see. That's all I know. 
So if the Pharisees were blinded by their religiosity, the neighbors were blinded by their skepticism. By their skepticism. Did you catch what these neighbors conclude? Now, I, I want to give them some, some, a little bit of a break. Do you ever bump into someone and it's a different situation that you normally see them in? Like sometimes you'll bump into me at Costco. Some of you, it takes like three seconds to realize it's me because I'm not wearing a pretty shirt and everything like that. I got a hat on. You're like, oh, it's Pastor Dave. So I'm going to give these guys a break. They don't recognize him. They normally accustomed to see him sitting begging. It's the same dude. You want to know what they conclude? Yeah, I don't, doesn't. Uh, are you faking? That's their first reaction. That's what you're going to go with, faking? I've been faking for 25 years that I was blind. That's what I, just so I could trick you this one time. That's what I'm doing. Okay, that doesn't make sense, but it can't be you. I don't think it's you. It's someone that looks like you. That's, that's option number two. That's what you're going to go with? Okay, that doesn't sound very good either. I, I just think someone's trying to trick us. That's where they end. They're skeptic about what this situation. And here's what I want to say to you. It is completely fair and acceptable to have questions about this book. Even doubts in some cases. I hope that we have created an atmosphere at Bay Hills where you don't, aren't afraid of asking questions. I want you to ask questions. But there's a difference between asking honest questions and then allowing your skepticism to control your life like the neighbor's. So my question to you is, are you taking your questions too far? Are you asking answers that God says, nope, not going to give you the answer to that one? Why not? You're not smart enough. You won't get it. Or sometimes, I don't want to tell you, just trust me. Don't be controlled by your skepticism, because it can produce spiritual blindness. Now, the first group, I understand. I expect the Pharisees. The second group, surprising, the neighbors. The third group will blow your mind, the parents. Watch. Verse 18. They still did not believe that that he had been blind and they received sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one that you claim and say was born blind? How is it that he could see? Now, it's interesting. Let me ask you a question. If you had been blind for 20 plus years and all of a sudden you receive sight, who's the first person you would tell? Mom. If the neighbors know, certainly mom and dad know. Now notice what they say. Uh, Yeah, that's our son. That's our son, they answered. And yes, we can confirm that he was born blind. And now they take the fifth. But we don't know how he could see. We don't know who opened his eyes. We don't know. Watch. They take it. Ask him. He's of age, right? He will speak for himself. We don't want to say nothing. Why? What? what why? If something that good happened to our kids, wouldn't we want to yell it to the mountaintops? Not this parents. Why? The parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. See, the parents are blinded by their comfort and their status. Don't say anything. If we tell them what we think is happening, you know, dad's like, I'm not going to be able to be on the synagogue bowling team. Mom's like, I am part of the fellowship team and they're going to kick me out. Just don't say anything. They're more consumed about what other people think about them and their social status 
than they are about speaking the truth about what's happened to their son. Someone sent me the email me this this story a while back about Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. You guys know that those stories. Let me read it to you. It says Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip. After a good meal and a bottle of wine, they lay down for the night and they went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes woke up and nudged his faithful friend. Sherlock Holmes asked, Watson, look up and tell me what you see. Watson answered, I see millions and millions of stars. Well, what does that tell you? Asked Sherlock Holmes. Watson thought for a moment and he answered, well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce it's a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect we have a beautiful day coming tomorrow. Why? What does it tell you? Holmes answered, Watson, you idiot, someone has stolen our tent. Sometimes the most obvious is right in front of us. And we notice everything other than the very obvious. I've got probably the most important personal question for you. Listen very, very carefully. Do you own up to your personality flaws? Do you own up to your moral handicaps? Or are they blind spots for you? We all have something. Every single one of us have at least one pretty significant personality quirk. We all have, according to John, 1 John, some sort of moral flaw and sin in our life. Do you own up to it or is it a blind spot for you? Because you see, if you're going through life and you're not looking over your shoulder and aware of your flaws and taking them into account and adjusting, you are causing chaos for yourself and for others. Now, I want to give you a little hint. Because if, if you're listening now, you're like, yeah, maybe he's got a point. Could I, could I give you a suggestion? You want to know who, who can help you the most? Most likely, it's the person sitting right next to you. It's the person that sees you and knows you and observes you, right? You know why they are not sharing with you what your personality flaw and quirk is? You want to know why? Because some of them are afraid of how you're going to respond if they speak truth in your life. And if you could just trust that they care for you, love you, and have the best for you, they could help you. Now, let me also add, some of you are sitting next to people you don't have a clue with, and you're like, I don't know this person. They don't know what's going on. They can't help you, but you know what I'm saying. There are people that can help you. You have to identify and be honest about your blind spots. Because if not, you're going to cause some accidents. You're going to cause some problems, and you will experience spiritual blindness. The last one, i got to wrap it up with this. Follow Jesus and allow Jesus to change you. Allow him to change you. John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. So this guy gets interrogated at the temple, right? The parents get interviewed. They decide, ah, you're a bum. Get out of here. They throw the formerly blind man out of the temple. And, and, and then it says Jesus found him. And he asked. Now, I want you to understand. The guy who used to be blind can now see. And he sees this dude walking up to him. It's Jesus. But he's never seen Jesus before. He's only heard him. 
So now picture what goes on. Jesus says to him, do you believe in the Son of Man, which is code for Messiah and Savior? Do you believe in the Savior? Who is he, the man asked. Tell me so that I might believe in him. Now, I have been told by those that are blind that because they are blind and they don't have the sense of seeing, they have to develop their other senses even more. So the sense of touch, the sense of hearing, they develop it much more keenly than we do, right? So how Jesus answers takes that into account. Watch. It's very strategic and very interesting. Jesus says, well, you now have seen him. Now you can use your eyes. Now you've seen him. In fact, he's the one that's speaking to you. I get the feeling that the formerly blind guy goes, no, I, I, knew, I knew I recognized your voice. You're, you're the guy with the spit in the mud, aren't you? You're the guy that healed me. Now I know what you look like. And I know who you are. And the best part of the story comes at the end. The man said, Lord, I believed, and he worshipped him. Tonight we have a worship night here, right, at, at, at this venue. And uh, it's going to be, I think, starting at 6 o'clock. And I want to encourage you to consider coming back. And some of you are like, well, I don't like to sing. And my answer to, to you as a pastor is I don't care if you don't like to sing. <laughs> worship has nothing to do really with whether you like to sing or not. Worship has everything to do with whether you want to express your love to God. I don't care if you know the songs, don't know the songs, have a good voice or not have a good voice. And I'm just telling you, as someone who cares for you, that's something that some of us need to work on, learning to worship better. I believe, he said, and he worshiped Jesus. Now watch, I told you from the very beginning. We still have it on the screens. Yes, we do. I, uh, I told you from the very beginning that the point of this story is to try and help people not be spiritually blind. And Jesus ends and he says this, I have come into the world so that the blind, the spiritually blind, would see. They would see. My best friend growing up, uh, his name is Tim Bratzman. Tim was the best man in my wedding. I was the best man in his wedding. Uh, we grew up together, uh, same age. Um, he was a missionary kid in Spain. I was a missionary kid in Spain. Our dads worked together at the Bible college and seminary. We spent all the time together. I, I was one of the few guys that knew his given name. Tim was his American name. But Tim Bratzman is actually Korean, found in, uh, South Korean. He was found on the streets of Korea as a baby infant during the war. He was picked up, taken to an orphanage. He was adopted by an American GI couple. And he became my best friend growing up. I was the only one that knew his given name. Young Min Ho. That was his Korean name. Young Min Ho. And I loved every once in a while when we were in a group of people, right? He'd be at the other side of the room. I'd be, Young Min Ho. Young Min Ho. And he'd be like, uh. And you know me, Young Min Ho. He'd finally, till he turned, I'd be like, uh, Young Min Ho. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the story, but let's get back to. So there we are in the summer. And we would be goofing off, doing things that kids, boys do, right? And one day we had an idea. One day, you know, we're riding our bikes all, all summer. One day we thought on this big school campus, right? We thought, what about if one of us is blindfolded and the other one on our bike guides the other one to some predetermined spot at the other side of the campus? So, you know, uh, he got blindfolded or I got blindfolded and he got on his bike. I got on my bike and it's like left, right, right, left, 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 right, forward, forward, right, left. And we did. And we went back and forth. Well, he would get blindfolded. I would get blindfolded. He would get blindfolded. It was just the most fun we had had in like a couple weeks, right? Until like about the third trip or so when it was his turn to be blindfolded, I got a little mischievous. 
And I decided, left, right, left, right, and then as we were going, I decided to drive him right into a bush. It was hilarious. He didn't get that badly hurt. He was fine pretty much afterwards. And now, and now some of you are thinking, well, that's when, that's when Pastor was younger, not so mature. He, he wouldn't do that today. And I would say, for a good laugh, I'd drive you right into a bush. I think that's funny right there. And here's my point. You're not here to follow David. You're not here to follow mommy and daddy. You're not here to follow the elder and leadership board. You're not here to follow your youth leaders. You're not here to follow your small group leaders. You're here to follow one and only one person, Jesus. Now, I hope that I've matured a little bit since those days. And I hope I and everyone else can help guide you. But don't be listening to my voice when you're blindfolded. Listening to the voice of Jesus is the only one you listen to. He's the one that guides us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this lesson. Um, Give us the courage to admit that maybe at times we have allowed ourselves to develop spiritual blindness. Help us not be that way as a church. Help us not be that way as individuals. We love you. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen.